0: The day is drawing near for the federal Conservative Party to choose a new leader. September 10th in Ottawa, delegates will gather to cast their ballot for the person to lead them into the next federal election, whenever that may be. Pierre Poilievre is led from the beginning and shows no sign of easing up. Jean Charest, a distant second in the race, leaving Leslin Lewis, Scott Atchison, and Roman Babar in the dust. Now, former Ontario PC leader Patrick Brown was turfed from the contest over the summer, for what the party called initially improper corporate donations, which then became suspicious memberships. And that move is drawn legal action by Brown. The party has been unable to knock Prime Minister Trudeau out of office three times, despite ample opportunity to make their case with the electorate. In our last show before the summer, we asked you which candidate would win the Conservative crown, and Pierre Poliev was overwhelmingly the favourite. Our unpublished vote question asks... Can a Pierre Polyev led Conservative Party win the next federal election? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at Unpublished Vote, our new portal for political discussion and debate. Coming up on the show, we'll chat with Lori Turnbull, Director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. As well, we'll go to Vancouver and hear from Mario Canseco, President of Research Co. But first, I'm pleased to be joined by Warren Kinsella, political commentator and former advisor to. Prime Minister jean Kretsch and Warren, what, if anything, do you feel can derail Pierre Poliev's momentum?
1: Nothing. Um, you know, he's been leading from the outset. And, you know, when they kind of schemed to get rid of who I think was, fell on your show was his principal opponent, surprisingly, which is Patrick Brown. Once they did that, you know, then the the, the road, the path became pretty clear. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, to my great surprise, Jean Charest, uh, even though he was a former leader of another variation of the Conservative Party, even though he'd held that job, he just never got off the mat and uh, didn't run, you know, a campaign that was very good, in my opinion. He kind of looked lot washed out. I hate to quote Donald Trump, but he looked low energy uh, throughout the race. And uh poliev had all the momentum. I mean, you know, you know, a leadership candidate is winning when they don't have to say anything about policy. I can't think of a damn thing that have said about policy. It was just, you know, this personality politics and his personality fits the Conservative Party right now.
0: Well, personality politics, uh, looking back, is maybe what uh, got uh, Trudeau in- into office in 2015?
1: Yeah, for sure. You know, and also his last name, he was a member of the Lucky Sperm Club. That didn't hurt. But, (laughs) you know, personality, I use that word advisedly. You know, if, if I'm right, and Polyev won without any policy, I mean, yeah, he said something yesterday about getting rid of bureaucracies in Ottawa, good luck with that. Um, but, you know, why did he win? I think because his persona, which is angry, and kind of over the top and oppositional to everything, you know, he's angry about everything. That's kind of where the conservative party majority is right now. You know, the conservative party of old and Mulroney and Clark and Kim Campbell and so on that kind of was more frankly progressive. That party, that party doesn't exist anymore. You know, I know they're off, you know, talking to uh, another uh, former guest of your show, you know, the center ice conservatives, but it, that, that dog won't hunt. You know, the Conservative Party, to me, has become this angry rump, and Pierre Polyev is their guy.
0: You know, one of your latest columns talked about Conservatives and Republicans in the U.S. being behind the ball because they're not talking about pocketbook issues. Uh, isn't that what Polyev is is focusing on, though, when he keeps hammering, hammering away at just inflation?
1: Yeah, it, talking about... Uh, He's good, you know. The thing is, I want to be fair to Polyev. He's good at the economic stuff. I think that's why he eventually became the conservative finance critic. But he keeps, you know, going off on into kind of crazy town, you know, conspiracy theories about the WEF, and you know, talking about jargon and government and Bitcoin and all the nutty stuff that he's done. It it looks like he's appealing to a segment that most Canadians, most Canadian voters just don't get, and they're not there. You know, like cozying up the truck convoy, not only does that piss off people in Ottawa, we've now seen polling that says it's a bad political strategy. Most Canadians, the overwhelming majority of Canadians, dislike the convoy people. The overwhelming majority of Canadians are vaccinated. They think vaccination is a good idea, and there's Polyev running against it. So I don't know how he's going to come back. You know, Nixon used to say, if you want the nomination in a conservative party, you run far to the right. But as soon as you get it, you start running back. Polyev has run so far out, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to run back in time, particularly if there's a fall election.
0: You know, Polyev talks a lot about freedom and gatekeepers. And how do you see him handling the party members and and MPs who don't see things the same as him? Doesn't that just make him another gatekeeper?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, as one of my friends pointed out on Twitter this morning, and that was funny, you know, so here's Polly Ebb saying he's going to pass a law to get rid of uh, jargon in in government. And it's like, well, Pierre, that's you doing what you've told us you you oppose. You want to get rid of people's freedom and people are themselves with jargon. What's wrong with that? So you know he's he's full of a lot of hooey, I think a lot of the time. And God knows, you know, he's not alone in that regard. But you know, the liberal war room and the new democrat war room, we both know, have been hiring extra people to collect the stuff that they're going to use in Polyev against the coming, in the coming election campaign, and he has given them a pile of material. I haven't seen a situation like this since, you know, I was running Kretzian's War Room in 2000 against Stockwell Day, and Day just did not start. It was like he was working for us. He just kept giving us stuff that we would be able to use in the writ period. And it's the same thing with Polyev. Some of his positions work with that angry conservative core, but they're not gonna work with Canadians.
0: You know, a lot of Polyev's rhetoric to me sounds an awful lot like what we've heard from the People's Party of Canada, Maxime Bernier. Now, politically, do you think he's trying to attract those supporters back to conservatives? And if so, do you think it would kill the PPC?
1: Absolutely, he's trying to do that. And, um, like, it would make some sense, you know, and I should declare disclose a bias, Maxime Bernier sued and not only did he lose, he had to pay me for suing in the first place. So I'm no fan of Maxime Bernier and the People's Party. But the one thing that's fair to observe about them is they have not won a single seat in Parliament, not one, including Bernier. So why is Polyev chasing that? You know the successive elections under Trudeau, who is not a popular prime minister, have shown that most Canadian voters are in the center. You know Trudeau's gone off to do his access a weasels deal with the NDP, so he's way over on the left. That created a huge Conservative party to go to the middle. Instead, Polyev takes the wheel and yanks it to the right, you know, and sends it off into the People's Party ditch. It makes no sense to me. Like, I've never seen a situation where the political middle in Canada is so lonely.
0: You know, it needs somebody to speak for it. And right now, there's nobody. You know, I've never met a talking point he didn't like, but that's that's far (laughs) from governing. Uh, Do you feel he has more depth than that?
1: Yeah, I don't think he's a dumb guy. You don't get to be leader of a political party by being a dummy, and but I, you know I know conservatives, hardcore conservatives think that Justin Trudeau is a dummy. It's I'm sorry, boys and girls, you don't get to be prime minister by being stupid. You know Justin Trudeau is not stupid, and by the way, he's kicked your ass three times in election campaigns. Maybe he hasn't won a majority, but he still won. So, uh, you know, I think that Polyev is smart, and that's why I've been so disappointed and frankly appalled by some of the stuff he says, you know, attacking the World Economic uh, Forum, like he used to go to that, like his, the chair of his campaign is a member of it, you know, the Harper used to go to it. You know, here's a picture of Pierre Polyev, you know, with Bill Gates, like he's full of crap on this stuff. And it, it you know, it really does insult not just our intelligence, It insults his. We want, we need in this country, you know, a sensible centrist leader, whether they be conservative or liberal. And in Polyev and Trudeau, we're just not getting that.
0: You know, you mentioned that Trudeau's won three straight election, and obviously he's got a lot of detractors, but it seems the whole core of the conservative movement or even Pierre Polyev's focus is just hating Justin Trudeau. That's not enough to win, in my opinion. And does it not wreck your game plan if there's a change at the top? Yeah, for
1: sure it does. For sure, you know, because they're they're putting all their eggs in the Trudeau basket. And, it, you know, as I pointed out a minute ago, it just hasn't worked. Like we know, Polly Evan crew and the trucker people, we know you hate Trudeau. You know, you've got all your ridiculous, disgusting banners all over Canada and all the rest of it, you know, saying blank Trudeau. Um, but the bottom line is the past three elections should show you Canadians don't. As you guys do, so why don't you have a broader, more sensible political strategy? You know, talking about you know how they didn't balance the budgets and they didn't reform electoral laws and how they didn't deliver on providing clean water to Indigenous people and so on and so on. But it's this almost infantile obsession with Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party. You know, I know the Liberal Party fairly well. It is very capable of the head fake. Right, and just let them think that Trudeau's going to be there. He's going to be there. He's going to be there, and then he's gone. Right? Yeah campaign and you have Freeland or you have Champagne as the new leader and it's a fresh new day and the flowers are blooming and then the Liberal Party wins again. The Conservative Party, like they're always fighting the last war and I don't get it because Canada frankly needs them to get their act together because we benefit from having you know a strong government and a strong opposition that gives us a better democracy.
0: Do you think Polly Ebb wins on the first ballot? Probably at this point,
1: I think they schemed, you know, I was no Patrick Brown fan, as you know, Uh, we've talked about it previously, what they did to Brown and frankly, the people who supported Brown, forget about Patrick Brown. There were thousands of people, principally new Canadians who had ponied up their money to support the guy, to get rid of a front runner in a national political party's leadership campaign on the say-so of one person. I have never seen that before. Like that, that smacks of the third world banana republic stuff. And uh, I think the Conservative Party is gonna rue the day because Brown is is he's probably gonna become mayor of Brampton again. He's not disappearing. He, Trey, and all these other people that Paul have attacked, they're just gonna be sitting on the sidelines throwing, you know, uh, javelins at at the conservative
0: campaign because there's no love lost there. Warren, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, sir. Lauren Kinsella is a political commentator and former advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Yeah, unity is a word that's been used by the candidates running against Pauliav. That word doesn't seem to come from Pierre himself, though. Laurie Turnbull is the director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University, and she joins us now. And, Laurie, you've followed politics for a long time. How would you characterize this leadership race?
2: That is a really hard question. Mm -hmm. Um, Like one, I think there's a few ways to describe it. One is long. Like for me, this has been a long time since Erin O'Toole was pushed out by caucus. There was snow on the ground then. That was a long time ago. And now we're finally getting to the point where the party is going to stand up and say, this is the person who's going to take us forward. Um, I think the way that Pierre Polyev has run this thing has been quite a bit different than the past two leadership races that we've seen for the conservatives that are still in pretty recent memory. So. Polyev looks like he is going to win this thing. He is likely to win it on the first ballot. He is the front runner and has been the whole time. And in the last two leadership races, the front runner didn't win. And so it was like the front runner doesn't have enough to get first on the first ballot with a majority. And so you keep pe- see, seeing people drop off, votes reapportioned, and then the consensus forms behind someone else. And then there's a sense of confusion almost for the party, right? Like there was a sense that somebody was gonna win, they haven't, what do we do now? I think the party is not going to be in that position next weekend. Polyev will win. He will have, a, I think, probably a first ballot win. It will look like the party is really behind him. But the trouble is that I don't think this leadership race has done anything to mend fences within the conservative movement. He, Polyev has not campaigned on bringing the party together. He hasn't campaigned on conservatism as a partisan um, Stance in some ways at all. He hasn't talked about the Conservative Party. He's talking about how he's running for Prime Minister, and so the leadership has really been about him. And so the other candidates, I think, even Jean Charest, who would have been seen as a pretty formidable opponent by any measure, has not been able to gain anywhere near enough momentum to become to come close to Polyev. Unless everyone's reading the polls wrong, it looks like this has been a kind of anticlimactic gradual coronation for someone who is going to have a whole set of challenges ahead of him about how he's going to endear himself to Canada.
0: You know, Paul is not only hammered away at the Liberals and the NDP, but his leadership opponents as well. And, and, you know, if he wins and it appears he will, how can he unify the party or, or do you see it being, it's going to be my way or the highway?
2: I think it's the latter. And I think he's shown signs of that, that, you know, he you're kind of, you're with him or you're not. And he is not going to bend and stretch his version of conservatism to be able to accommodate yours. So I don't see him making any sort of concessions around trying to move to the center to be able to capture some people who are ticked off with Trudeau and who are tired of You know, not feeling included in the progressive agenda. And, you know, that is being championed by the liberals and the NDP. I don't think Polyev sees that as his space. I think he's trying to do a few things. One is I think he is trying to be a bit obscure in how he approaches concepts like conservatism and freedom. It makes it hard for him to pin, be pinned down. It makes him hard for him to be defined by the liberals, for example, or by his opponents. And so that's a strategy that he's employed this whole time. I think it's, it's kind of, general enough that you appeal to people on the basis of freedom. Well, who doesn't like freedom, right? And so then he's able to kind of appeal more broadly, at least in theory, at least right now. He's also doing something interesting. And that is a reflection, I think, of how quiet the NDP have become. They have left open a constituency of working people who feel like they are working really hard. They are doing what they've done all along they've done they're doing even more than they've done all along and they're not seeing their dollar go as far as it did so there's a sense of of being politically orphaned i think if you are if if you're watching the price of things and you're not seeing anyone reflect back to you how you're going to get ahead in this mess Polyev has begun to tap into that. That is not necessarily a typical space for conservatives, but he's been able to channel some energy around there. And so I think he's kind of creating a new political constituency for himself. That's about him, not about the conservatives. So this is a kind of brand style politics. And I think it's a question that's going to haunt political parties going forward. We see this in the U.S. We say this, uh, see this in Ontario. Ford Nation is for everybody. It's not just for conservatives. Trudeau rebuilt the Liberals in his own image. We we've, have we've see more of this sort of image-style politics, celebrity-style politics. Polyeva sp- has spent the last six months trying to become a celebrity.
0: Politically orphaned is a great uh, description. Uh, where did the middle go in the polit- pol- Canadian political spectrum? Are they, are they basically the orphans here?
2: I think, to a large extent, yes, and that's why that that's a significant threat to democracy is that we're starting to see, and there's a whole bunch of causes and effects here. But we're, you know, some of them socioeconomic, some of them political, some of them institutional, um, some of them having to do with social media and the way we relate to one another. Some of them related to social capital. Some of it related to the kinds of depressions we've seen in many aspects of life during the COVID nineteen period. But we are at a point where it seems like politics is really about the amplification of the fringe and there is not a, like a kind of robustness about the middle or the center anymore. And so usually when we see, when we think about politics in a democracy, we think about a kind of marketplace of ideas. If you want to take an idea and get that, you know, to be the centerpiece of you being elected, whether you're a person or a party, you have to sell that idea to enough people. And that's probably not going to work if the idea is no good right? So you sell something to the general public, enough people grab onto it, then it's probably got some merit. Our problem is the general public, to a large extent, have checked out because there is no party that is reflecting the views of the center. And the views of the center aren't all coherent, but they are some. there are some principles and ideas that pull them together. Even, for example, support for the rules of the game, a consensus around having to keep democracy itself in check, not because of what it produces, but because it's important in its, its own right. Even that consensus is eroding. So I think in, in the absence of a very uh, robust and functioning political filtering process for ideas, we're seeing some unpopular ideas start to look like they're very popular. And again, social media will have a distorting effect on that. But I wonder whether he goes to, when, when he goes to a general election, how that conversation will shift whether there's going to be a deeper engagement, if people start to worry that politics is becoming too, you know, focused on the on the extremes, is there a breaking point where the middle will engage again? I'm wondering whether Polyev's um, win will be a far enough pull to the right that some of the people that are involved, say, for example, in the uh, conservative center rights movement will say, hey, we got a few years. Why don't we stand up a party? Let's see what happens. Right.
0: You know, a poll over the summer found that among conservatives, Polyev was the favorite of the leadership candidates, but among Canadians, Jean Charest was more popular. Now, is that an
2: omen for the party? I mean, I, it's not so much that Pierre Polyev is not po- popular at all; it's that mm-hmm. he's he's going to have a, a challenge ahead of him into trying to make himself likable for Canadians, and like Jean Charest wouldn't have that problem. He, if he won the Conservative leadership, I think. Justin Trudeau would have a major problem on his hands I'm wondering whether the liberals are thinking you know we're not going to define Pierre Polyev we're going to give him enough time to let Canadians decide what they think about him and given that he hasn't exactly come across as the kindest gentlest compassionate you know guy you want to have a beer with kind of thing he's come across as the attacker the enforcer for the party I wonder if part of the liberal strategy is to just give people long enough to decide they don't like him let him set his own house on fire. And then when they go to election in 2025, the shine will be off.
0: You know, the system the Conservatives are using to, to new, uh, select their new leader. How does it work and, and how does it give more voice to those usually left on the outside?
2: So the Conservatives use a ranked ballot, which is usually what parties use to select their leader. It is not um, like if we compare it to the delegated style that we used to use before which is everybody goes to the convention. If you're a delegate, you're representing your riding or you've paid to be there, whatever the case may be. The voters are the people on the floor of the delegation, uh, on the floor of the convention hall. They vote. Does anybody get a a majority? No, drop somebody off. Everybody votes again. That's what we used to do. So you're building the consensus with every vote as every candidate drops off. What they use now is like kind of a one-shot deal where you get a ballot in the mail, you rank the candidates. If you want to rank them all, you don't have to. You send the ballot back. If somebody gets a majority of number one votes on the first count, then that person wins and it's game over. If nobody does, the person with the least amount of votes is dropped off, least amount of number one votes. Their votes are reapportioned according to second and subsequent preferences. You keep doing that until somebody's got a majority. They also use a regional point system where every riding, as long as it has 100 members in it, has, is worth 100 points. So that's where it gets slightly complicated. And if somebody were going to beat Pierre Polyev, this is how they would do it, I think, is if he's like crazy popular in Calgary, and, you know, that's fine, but that only gets you 100 points. Calgary's only worth 100 points, and those bo- points are divided up proportionally according to the vote there. It's, you know, the riding of Sydney-Victoria, which is much smaller, as long as they've got 100 conservatives, and they do. That is worth the same. And so then those votes are apportioned according to the candidate's showing of support. And so being super popular in the big ridings is not going to win this for you. Being popular in a small riding is very helpful. It's just as helpful to you as a big riding. So that could have a distorting effect. If the progressive side of the party had mounted a challenge to Polyev that was really, you know, durable and viable, that could have been enough to throw this. But I think what had happened was Sheree and Brown had some kind of sh- handshake around building out the progressive side of the party. When one dropped off, the votes would reapportion. They might have a shot at beating Polyev. That was a great strategy. The wrong two people to do it. Brown didn't last. And Sharae is, yeah. is just kind of running out of gas.
0: Lori, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, too. Laurie Turnbull is the director of the School of Public Administration at Dalhousie University. Freedom, or lack thereof, has been a key word in this leadership race, but is it real or is it a mirage? Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co in Vancouver, and he joins us now. And Mario, here Polyev likes to say he wants to return our freedom, make Canada the freest country in the world. Does he have a point?
3: Well, not if you compare it with what we see in the United States. Uh, We were recently in field. We asked Canadians and Americans about their views on freedom, whether they feel that uh, elected politicians are attacking their freedoms, and the numbers are significantly higher in the United States, um, which is quite curious because what we see there is a dichotomy where Democrats who are being ruled by Republicans are upset at what they see happening, particularly because of Roe v. Wade. Uh, And also uh, Republicans who are ruled at the federal level by the Democrats are are dissatisfied with the way things are going and would like to see Donald Trump reelected. So you get it from both sides. And what we see when we ask Canadians is, aside from those who vote for the People's Party, uh, to a lesser extent, people who vote for the Greens and even fewer conservatives, uh, Canadians do not think that their freedoms are under attack. So uh, he's essentially talking to a crowd that is already with him. And there's no guarantee that that is going to bring new conservative voters into the fold. The Greens, I did not expect to hear that. Well, it's an interesting situation. I think we've seen this over the past three, four years, uh, particularly after Elizabeth May was not the leader of the Greens. There is a component of the Green Party that has been staunchly anti-vaccine, very worried about what the pandemic is doing, but certainly not in the same way as other Canadians. And you do have that element of the Green Party traditionally of people who vote against everything. You know, they're not happy with the Liberals, won't vote for the NDP, don't think conservatives have their best interest at heart, and they find that votes where they can essentially protest what is happening in the country with the Green Party. So that is definitely one of the elements that they have right now.
0: Now, in your in your uh, work, uh, Canadians and Americans are, are similar in feeling their vote isn't making or doesn't make a difference. Why
3: is that? I think this is ultimately uh, something that happens because of the systemic failures that we have to deal with. If you're a Democratic voter in Wyoming, uh, your chances of having a say in the presidential election are next to zero. If you are somebody who votes, let's say, for the sake of argument for the Green Party or the NDP in a place that is usually won by liberals or conservatives, you also feel a little bit dejected. So part of what happens here, and this is the only thing where our views are similar, is that uh, we're dissatisfied with the system that we have in place. You know, Maybe we want to vote for somebody, but because of the fact that we have a first-past-the-post system in Canada, we can't really get that done. It's not something that is going to help us. And it's a similar situation with the Electoral College in the state. So part of what we see here, and this is the delicious irony of what is happening as far as freedom is concerned, uh, people are more likely to agree on the fact that the system is broken, than on the notion that the politicians are making their lives more difficult.
0: From your perspective, has this leadership race and, and, and well, been a discussion of ideas and, and policy, or is it mainly just catchy slogans and slick marketing?
3: It's been more catchy slogans than slick marketing. I think part of what we see here is Uh, A way in which Pierre Poliever has been trying to connect, particularly on social media, uh, making some of those videos talking about specific issues that he believes people will be interested in. Um, Young people are curious about what happens, uh, but we've seen in the past uh, that young voters tend to window shop a lot in the early stages of elections. Um, We saw it particularly with Jack Singh in his first election, the NDP climbing the charts, a lot of young people who are looking at him as somebody they wanted to vote for. And then you get to the latter stages of the election and you start to have second thoughts and the NDP goes back to their usual level, which is the teens. You know, they've never been able to climb higher than 20% after Jack Layton um, was no longer their, their leader. So I think we might be into something that is similar. Um, a lot of people who are looking at Pierre Polievre as an option right now, but we don't really know if many of those voters who are going to those rallies are actually going to show up and vote for him, not only in the leadership race, but also in the federal election, if and when it happens.
0: You know, I I asked Lori Turnbull and Warren Kinsella earlier in the show about the middle of the political spectrum. In your opinion, has it been abandoned?
3: Well, what's troubling here is that it's been abandoned uh, by the frontrunner, uh, you know, you would have, we would have expected in a different type of leadership race for Pierre Poilievre to try to extend the hand to Red Tories, extend the hand to people who maybe voted for the Liberal Party and are disappointed with some of the decisions that have been taken by Justin Trudeau. And it's actually the other way around. I think he's trying to get some of those voters who are more likely to be supportive of the People's Party or who are dissatisfied with vaccine mandates. And that is one of the issues uh, that he's trying to bring into this forefront. Now, is that enough to win a federal election? It's quite complicated. I think he can do well in connecting with specific areas of the country if people certainly feel that Ottawa is no longer with them. Um, We can go back to the 2000 election when the Canadian Alliance, which didn't really climb the charts across the country, got more than half of all votes cast in British Columbia. That is the best result for any party in this century. Uh, for a party that finished a very distant second place. So you can have that connection in specific parts of the country. But if you don't break through, particularly in areas where the Conservatives used to do well under Stephen Harper, uh, such as um, certain areas of Ontario, to a lesser extent, the urban centers, particularly Vancouver, um, you're not going to be a person who is going to be able to form the government.
0: You know, divisiveness has spoken a lot now politically. And, and, you know, when you go out and you target certain areas and demographics to make your case for a win, are you not, in fact, really dividing in the first place?
3: Well, yes. And it's one of the intricacies of the system. I think that is also part of the reason for Canadians to feel disenchanted with the way things are going. you know They feel that nobody's actually bothering them, that if you live in a district where uh, the same party and the same person continuously win, um, nobody's gonna knock on your door and ask you to vote for something different. And I think that might be part of the problem that we see, especially when you have half of Canadians saying, I don't feel my vote makes a difference. Um, It's uh, significantly higher than what I expected we were going to find, but it's also something that we see Because of the way campaigns are structured. And I think that has been changing uh, over the past couple of election cycles. Um, Now you have Justin Trudeau coming into Vancouver and talking about housing, going into Alberta and talking about jobs. We were used to having federal leaders, especially here in B.C., who had the same speech prepared and just gave it as they went through the country and got into Vancouver and came back. Now you have a little bit of more uh, leeway in the types of things that you're talking about, and the campaigns have become a little bit more local, even if the results aren't there. You know, we continue to ask people about housing here in British Columbia, the level of dissatisfaction with the federal government that promised action on a file that is crucial for many residents is not there.
0: Uh, Well, in your opinion, and uh, putting on your uh, prognosticators hat, uh, does Pierre Polyev win the leadership in the first ballot?
3: I think there's a certain possibility that that's the case. Uh, The expectation, and we talked about this a few months on your show, uh, was that Patrick Brown was going to be able to sign a lot of people. And now Patrick Brown is no longer involved in this for a wide range of reasons. Um, I think it'll go a long way to try to figure out Uh, whether this is a united party. Uh, We know that there's a lot of uh, dissatisfaction with people who aren't necessarily supportive of Pierre Poliever. but if he manages to win on the first ballot, I think that'll send a very powerful message that that is what most of the party wants. Then it's a significantly different scenario from what we saw the last couple of times with Andrew Scheer and Erin O'Toole, where we kept counting votes until it was really late at night. Um, This will send a very powerful message that this is what the party wants. Now, Is that going to throw off people who maybe will be looking at other parties as a choice? That remains to be seen. I'm certainly curious about what happens in Quebec. Uh, Are we going to have a situation where the federal conservative vote in Quebec um, is significantly higher for Charest? You know, does that allow you to build a party if you can't um, grow your base uh, within one of the most important provinces?
0: Mary, I want to thank you for joining us.
3: My pleasure. Anytime, it.
0: Mario Canseco is the president of Research Co. Our unpublished vote question asks you today: Can a Pierre polyev led Conservative Party win the next federal election? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at Unpublished Vote, our new portal for political discussion and debate. I want to thank our guest today on the Unpublished Cafe, Warren Kinsella, Lori Turnbull, And Mario Canseca, and I want to thank you for watching The Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.